listening to UWA Alumni's Pursue Inclusion podcast series. Thanks for downloading this episode. UWA is committed to an inclusive society where every life is respected as unique and valuable. Visit our website at pursueinclusion.uwa.edu.au to see how you can join with others in the UWA community to create positive change. All right, welcome to another episode of Pursue Inclusion UWA. Today on this episode, I have the pleasure of talking to Fudzy Wande. Oh, did I get that right? Yes, you did. Awesome. <laughs> Good for me. Uh, Fudzy is the owner of her own consultancy, One Day Consultancy. And I believe if I did my research correctly, you specialize in diversity and inclusion as a consultancy in organizations, governments, nonprofits and the such. Is that correct? That is correct. And um, I also currently work at the University of Western Australia as the manager of inclusion and diversity as well. I did not know that part of this little story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for doing this. um, And I appreciate it. So can you just from a 10,000 foot view, talk about what you actually do at the university and with your consultancy. So basically, um, my role is about creating a very inclusive campus environment. So that's looking at some of the strategies that we're implementing. It's about managing the inclusion and diversity strategy for the university. So that encompasses, you know, how we integrate the different um, groups. So looking at staff equity, student equity, as well as supporting the indigenous equity strategy. The consulting, I guess, since I've started working at the university, not so much. I still have a few things that I had committed to with the U.S. consulate that I'm working on. And that's more of a mentoring and leadership program for women from diverse backgrounds. So how did you get into this space? To be quite honest, um, I always say to people, the work found me. Um, I never set out to be in diversity and inclusion, but what what happened is I would work for different organizations and they would give me a portfolio. So it could have been like a Aboriginal portfolio or it was the LGBTIQA plus portfolio or the culturally and linguistically diverse. And over time, um, I just started building up networks, started uh, facilitating workshops, and then I got my official a job with the title of a diversity consultant about five years ago, and then the rest is history. So pretty much, you know, being asked to speak at different events. And then I started the consulting, um, mainly because I was getting quite a lot of requests mm-hmm. and there was just no way of uh, sort of meeting it, um, at least at that time. That's awesome. So I guess let me, it kind of leads me to my first question then. As somebody who, who really found inclusion and diversity, you know, I would think that in your mind, you see this world of headlines that are always divisive and almost the opposite of creating an inclusive society. So do you think that most people thrive in diversity and inclusion? Or do you think that people want this separation of different cultures and ethnicities? I think fundamentally, as human beings, we love the sense of belonging. I mean, think every one of us likes to feel you know, that we belong to something. I think that we have gotten caught up in definitions or the lack of defining things. So if we think about the world, it is very diverse. So we have, you know, people, different cultures, different language groups. So the world is actually very diverse. So that's not really the issue. The issue is how can we 
take that diversity and make it more inclusive so that different people feel a sense of belonging. And I think that, you know, as human beings, we tend to be selfish, but we also have to look at the dynamics of, you know, just power structures, you know, what we consider minority groups. And so that has to do a lot with certain people feeling that they're uh, excluded. And then there's, a, you know, there's also the factors of politics, the environment, you know, just social aspects. But I think as human beings, we love a society that's harmonious. And I think headlines can be very misleading because even if we're not talking about diversity and inclusion, bad news cells is very attractive so Mm -hmm. i think you're always looking for that you know to try and create um an environment where oh you know this is really bad but i think that um as a society we um, everyone would love to be in a you know in a harmonious community there's only a very few people um if you look at it who are behind either terrorism or you know racism, etc. It's just a small group, but the small group seems to get a lot of the headlines and do quite a bit of damage. But do you think, just to play devil's advocate, right? So, you know, in Australia and in the U.S. and and even here in the Middle East, we all tend to gravitate towards what we know and who we know and and similarities. So, so if if you believe that as a world we really want inclusion. But many of us have a hard time thinking about inclusion in, in, a, in a more global sense. Is there a reason why we actually need it then, if we're happy and content, it seems? Well, I don't think we are happy and content. And I think that because of all the things that are happening shows that we aren't. Because, you know, no single society on its own can survive and thrive without, you know, input from, from everyone else. And so I think that's really what the problem is. And yes, we tend to be attracted to what we know to people who look like us. But if we really think about inclusion, we have to go back to the ideology of the social construct of race and difference and how it all came about. And I think that you know, because we've become such a global um, society um, with the, you know, technology, we are exposed and introduced to so many other different narratives. If we look at Australia, for example, where, you know, a third of the population is from overseas. So we're, we're actually becoming a very, um, you know, di- diverse and inclusive society. And now we have to learn how to live together. And I don't believe that you know, we can actually do that. And I don't believe that societies want that to happen because we miss out on, you know, the elements and the narratives that other, that difference brings. I think what we're failing to do is we're failing to actually get to a point where we're not selfish and we're allowing other narratives to come in, in into play. Because I think what's, what's really interesting about that comment is that, you know, you have this sense of, when someone feels as if their world is being challenged, and I'll use like the U.S. as an example, kind of, kind of the the, the white older male kind of feels mm-hmm. threatened, right? And so mm-hmm. when you when you feel threatened, isn't it easier for you to kind of have that flight or fight mentality? And so when you when you have that 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 I guess flight, and I don't know which one would be appropriate here, but but my point is, is that you're going to create your own narrative around the other. Right, and that's exactly what the problem is: is that we are creating a narrative around the other because there's certain people who feel like they're the dominant group, and so if you look at structures, if you look at even when we talk about power, 
or dominant groups, when we talk about, for example, gender, people automatically will rush to think we're talking about females. Or if we talk about, you know, sexuality, people think of the LGBTI community. When we talk about race, people think of people of color. And what we fail to realize is that heterosexuals actually is a sexuality. White, you know, people are a race and males are also a gender. So I think it's, 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 it's in the language and it's in what we've socially constructed society to be. But having said that, even if we look at, you know, males who might feel threatened with the rise of, you know, gender equality and women coming into play, a world where only men exist is not a world that they want. What they might be holding on to is that sense of power that they have. But it's, I don't believe that anyone wants to sort of like, you know, exterminate and, and, and just leave one group there. What we're failing to do is realize is sharing. It's like, I want the pie all to myself. I don't want to share it. And I feel threatened, like you said. But I don't think that as individuals and as even societies, that's what we want. We just have failed to actually include others because it could be a fear of sharing power. But I think it all goes down to the you know, power dominant groups and the social construct of race, the whole ideology um, is really to blame for the problems that we're seeing now. So many questions. So little time. Um, so, but so I'm gonna. So one of the things that really comes through is your your clear passion for this and this topic. So I, I guess that leads to the question of why is inclusion just for you personally important? Well, I think it's because I've always been the other. You know, I've always been labeled I'm a, a minority. I'm a woman, a black woman. So you know, the fact that I'm female. Um, you know, experiencing sexism and then, you know, being black, racism and all of that. So I've always been a minority. I've always been seen as the other. And even when I was in Africa, there was uh, a sense of, you know, we are less than. And so I fight for it because I think that's, you know, definitions and the social construct is completely wrong. And then when you think of the other intersectionalities, when you bring in, you know, people with disability, when you bring in LGBTIQA+, you start to realize that our societies are not inclusive because we have formed in our views a dominant sort of uh, culture. And what I, why I'm so passionate is, I want everyone to feel a sense of belonging. I don't want anyone to be termed the other. And so I fight for it for myself, but I'm actually fighting for it for everyone else. So I just, this is an observation, not that something you've said, but over the course of like probably five or six of these interviews, is that for us to be in, more inclusive, don't we need to drop titles of groups? We do, but I think that it's also valid to acknowledge that they are there because you know, I totally disagree with the thought about why do we focus on difference? I think that we have created a socially constructive view that difference is negative. And I don't believe that difference is negative. And I think that the reason why we keep saying that is because we have told ourselves that it's, it's, it's you know, there's more things that, that unite us than divide us. And I'm like, well, Difference is great. Whoever said difference is bad. And I think we've we've actually made difference to be abnormal, to be weird, to be not acceptable. And I think we need to change that. Um, and the reason we need to change that is because there's so much value in diversity. And when you have uh, other narratives and other viewpoints that shape, you know, the, the narrative and the story, it becomes richer. And I think that we all know that and we believe that. 
We just don't know how to allow it. And we allow it by just allowing other narratives to, to change exactly what we consider to be standard, normal, and that changes a narrative. So I guess that kind of leads to the question then, right? So you, you like to embrace differences, right? And talk about the differences to start bridging to, the, to create inclusive society or inclusive environment. So then how do you foster in- inclusion with what you do at your work? So for me, fostering inclusion is is really, I believe um, a lot in the power of a story because I believe every one of us has a story. We are a story. And so I think that we need to move away from the single narrative um, that we've created in society and start to adopt and know that people have different lived experiences. And so my truth might not necessarily be your truth, but I think it boils down to being comfortable with being uncomfortable. So we talk about getting out of our comfort zone, but when in reality, we actually don't like to do that. We don't like to do anything that requires us to change. And I think that it starts by each of us embracing the fact that we have unconscious bias and everybody has that. Um, humanity as individuals, we have uh, prejudices towards certain groups of people. And so acknowledging that is first and foremost. And then from there, I think it's about opening ourselves up to hear about lived experiences and to realize that, you know, they're different and people's viewpoints are different. And it is okay. It is okay. We don't have to try to agree. We just have to make room for difference to to sort of flourish and know that it's not a bad thing. And so in my work, what I do is, you know, I do a series of workshops and one of them is called Courageous Conversations About Race, where we talk a lot about race and the ideology behind race. And it's also about, you know, offering people another viewpoint and changing the narrative, but also equipping people to know that every individual has a story and every story is worth uh, listening to and is worth being told. Mm, that's awesome. So then I guess, can you give me an example of how you do that in a real life situation? So, I mean, I, I speak a lot. So for example, when, when people talk about lived experience or if we're talking about, you know, um, just a narrative of, of something that happened. So, you know, being a black woman, I talk a lot about the lived experience. I talk a lot about my viewpoints are very different. And so I'll give you examples. I'm often told Can I that add I'm to that really or- quick. Sorry, just yeah. not to interrupt you, but like, I also think yeah. it, it's more complex for you because not only, I mean, obviously you're a black woman. I can't, yes. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm not going to debate that part of it, but, yeah. but, <laughs> but, but, but the complexity of live, actually being somewhat raised in the U.S., and then mm-hmm. living in Africa and then now living in Australia, mm-hmm. your perspective on race is also different yes. as well. It's more, it's almost yeah. more robust. And, and, I, and I, don't, I would imagine, and you tell me, is it more complex too? I think it's complex in the sense that, you know, if I look about, if I think about the definition of race, so within um, an American context, when we talk about race, it's really black and white, you know, But with Australia, for example, the indigenous community, race is completely different because, you know, the skin groups and the connection to land is really important. So you can have a blonde hair, blue eyed Aboriginal person who will still experience racism based on, you know, that cultural connection. And so, you know, taking all of that in and also for me, having lived in Africa where, you know, just the consciousness of whiteness permeates where even in a majority group where there's a lot of black people there's still this culture 
of, you know, we are less than, and that is a social construct. So I think that's the complexity. The other complexity is because of this is work, I have to try and bring groups together. So oftentimes I will share my perspective and I'll share my narrative, but I share it in the hope of embracing and bringing people together. So, you know, I'm very careful about, you know, the things that I say, I'm very careful about how I say it. And so I think I feel at times that I have to think a little bit more about, you know, how is this perceived? Um, So that's the complexity. But I also think that um, as a society, we are not open to viewpoints. And I think that, you know, the fact that I have lived in different places is actually a bonus for me because I can actually see how certain cultures and lived experience and narratives have helped shape my viewpoint. So I feel it's better for me. Yeah, and I'm, I'm the same as you. I mean, obviously, I don't have the, uh, I'm the white male, so my plight's a little bit different. Um, so <laughs> You're the privileged white male, <laughs> <Yeah>. are you? <laughs> uh, ease down, ease down. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got four kids. I'm at the bottom of the pecking order in my house, believe me. Um, <laughs> But I, but I think your point is valid about being able to look through other lenses. Mm-hmm. And for me, I always say, uh, agree or disagree, that travel cures all ills because it allows mm-hmm. you to say, oh, now I see why X, Y, and Z culture does this. And now mm-hmm. I see. And then, it, and then it, it helps really at the end of the day, the word we don't really talk about is, is create a higher level of tolerance for the differences. And it's, That's I don't true. Know if, and yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, if you think about it, you know, all the things that happen, um, for example, racism, prejudice, unconscious bias, all of that, you know, there's a root of fear behind it, the fear of the other, the fear of unknown. And I think that what I do in my work is I offer, you know, people an opportunity to actually hear another narrative and another lived experience. And that's what I see, because a lot of the times when I'm talking to people, I hear them saying, oh, my God, I never, you know, I didn't realize that that was you know, something to consider. I never thought, you know, somebody can go through that. And I think that that's what I feel I do in work. And that's the example I can give you is I actually offer people another narrative and also realizing that there's intersectionality. So just being a black female, there's also other things around the diversity spectrum that, you know, um, one has to consider. So somebody is not just a white male, you know, you could be a white male and somebody else could be a white male who's from the LGBTI community. So there's then that intersectionality. And I think that, like I said before, each of us has a story and how we can create that inclusive society is by allowing people to share their story. And, you know, my tagline is, you know, what stories are you listening to and what stories are you telling? Because I think that when we think about that, that is the beginning of how we create an inclusive society. If we're telling the same stories and hearing the same stories, then that's not very inclusive, is it? So I guess that kind of leads to my final question, uh, and thank you for your time. Many of us really, I probably I'm somewhat included in this, is I never really go beyond the sense of diversity, right? So, yep, mm-hmm. there's different points of views, and I can appreciate the way they think about it. Uh, but I don't take that next step of inclusion. So I guess the macro question here is how do we create a society that does more than just accept differences, but instead gives us the conditions or creates the conditions to engage in constructive conversation with each other, to embrace the differences as a greater part of all of that process? So, you know, if we look at gender equality, um, there's a lot of debate about increasing women, 
in the workplace and all. And so what you're really talking about is that a lot of the times we stop at that checklist. Okay, I've done it. I've employed women. I've done yeah. this and it's all I've good. I've gone to this class. Like, right. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've attended this training and that's good. I'm all for it. But we're actually not sharing the power structure. So I keep going back to the dominant group and the power structure. So you can't really change anything until the power structure changes. So, you know, getting people in is just the first part of it. The second part about it is creating a pipeline. So for example, if it's a work situation, yeah, it's great if you um, are increasing, you know, your pool of candidates and they're diverse, but you have to create a pipeline that is so clear that they also get into positions of influence. And when you share that power structure, then we start to see inclusion. And so that is part of the work that I do looking at strategies of how we can actually begin to share the power structure. Um, and so that we'll see changes. And just very quickly, I'll give an example of like Norway. Um, so they, you know, 20, 30 years ago, introduced a quota system where, you know, um, every company had to have like 40% females. And I'm sure at the time, whether it was a target or quota, I won't get into that debate, but I'm sure at that time, people would have thought, oh, you know, this is unfair. What about merit, et cetera? But now we hail them, you know, and we, we applaud them for all of that. And I think that sometimes you have to make those drastic steps to be able to shift power structures. And then you start to see, you know, more inclusive uh, practices at play. That's awesome. Well, Fudzy, fudzy one day. Thank you for your time, energy, and willingness to sit down on this Pursue Inclusion UWA initiative. Thank you so much for having me on the show, James. I really appreciate your time. Uh, you're welcome. We hope you enjoyed listening to UW Alumni's Pursue Inclusion episode. Make the commitment to leave no one behind by taking part in our movement towards an inclusive society. Spread the word about Pursue Inclusion and the Day of Action on the 4th of November by using hashtag PursueInclusionUWA on all social media channels.